One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. I'm calling to talk about death. Um, I have worked for the past four years as a hospice social worker, so I have spent a lot of time with people who are dying, and I have experienced death in so many different ways. I have seen really beautiful and really peaceful deaths, and I have seen really gory deaths, and I have seen really tragic and unexpected deaths. Um, I have held people's hands while they were dying. I have held their loved ones' hands while they cried. I've been in the room when people have been taken off of life support. I have, um, you know, cleaned up bodies and changed their clothes so that their loved ones could see them looking well for the last time. Um, And it seemed to me like the one thing that all of these people had in common was that they were moving towards something. I actually started my work as a hospice social worker coming from a pretty agnostic place. And I really left um, feeling very spiritual and very connected to this sense of something beyond us um, and, and really believing that there seemed to be somewhere that we all went after we died. Had so many patients talk about their loved ones coming to get them. I had so many patients who weren't verbal, reaching towards something, um, grasping at something, um, talking about light and angels and feeling like they needed to go and talking about how ready they were to go home. So I don't know if that is helpful information for anybody out there, but um yeah, I, I definitely believe that there is that there has to be something somewhere that we go. And by all accounts, it seems to be a very peaceful place. Um, so good luck with your quest on on figuring out this question. And um, thanks for all the work that you do. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. Casper, before we get started today, we have to thank some of our new patrons, Susan A., Charlotte L., Rebecca F., Rachel J., Sarah W., and Jane S. We are so grateful that you are sponsoring these conversations. 
They are really changing us. And so I hope that they are also accompanying you and wherever you are in a journey of change or not. And thank you to all of our patrons. And thank you to those of you who are not supporting us on Patreon. We're just so grateful that you're listening and are part of this conversation with us. Okay, so Casper, you brought the really low stakes, easy question (laughs) of what happens after we die. And I just have to say, I have never loved the format of our show more because I (laughs) don't have to answer anything. I'm just here. So my love, what happens after we die? Talk to me about this question. I would never have thought that I would bring this question. I've always felt so clear about my answer to it. Like, well, nothing. We get eaten by worms. And yet more recently... I have questions. And so that's why I'm bringing this conversation. I was thinking back to like when the seed might have been planted for this question. And I think it was two different experiences that compared to each other felt very different. So the first scene I want to take you to is I'm maybe four, maybe five. And my great aunt has passed away. I didn't have a really a relationship with her. She lived in Holland. I grew up in England. I might have seen her once alive. But I remember that she was laid out at home, which is very normal in Holland. I, I don't know if that's the case elsewhere. But, you know, that people who loved the person who has passed away get a chance to kind of say goodbye. And, and so that's what we were doing. And I was terrified. Like, the lights were low. There were some candles. And to, honestly, to me, what I remember is she looked like a witch. Like, it was this scary old lady who was dead. And she wanted to bring you with her out into the afterlife. <laughs> exactly. There were flying monkeys. I had on little little red shoes. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was just one of those experiences that I was like, well, did not enjoy. Thank you so much. It's like how all <laughs> horror movies are. Like, no. But then a couple of years ago, my final living grandparent passed away, my grandmother. And this time I really wanted to go see her, right? I flew back for the funeral, but also I I wanted to see her before they closed the casket. And there are so many memories I have of, of, you know, really maybe 20 minutes or so that I was in that room, how small she was, right? How little her body was as it was lying down. But the thing that really stayed with me was that she was both herself and not herself. Like it was who I remembered and yet something about who she was, was gone. And of course, like she wasn't alive, right? She wasn't breathing. She wasn't speaking. So all the things that I was used to, but it, it just felt like a a piece of her was gone. That's the best language that I've, that I've had for that experience. And so it opened this question for me of like, who was this body that is now no longer this body? Like, there's just something there that opened, like an aperture or a window that opened in my in my imagination that I'm a, a little less clear about now. And so I have this squidgy feeling like I don't want to believe in some sort of like afterlife, like it's irrational. I like morally oppose anything that dictates us towards a, oh, well, in heaven, you'll be fine. So enjoy your awfulness situation here, right? Like all of that. I'm like, no, 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 no. And yet it feels like Something has a hold on my imagination here that I want to explore with you. So that's my question. (laughs) Sure. So your question is not what do we see when we are dying? You're not talking about the dying experience. You are talking about the experience of the person who used to be alive Mm. after they are dead and what it is that their experience might be dead. Maybe the best way to put it is like, 
a purely materialistic way of telling the story of what happens when we die is that our body shuts down, right? Vital organs stop working. And then although there isn't a precise moment that we go from living to dead, there is this process after which, right, enough vital things in our bodies have shut down and we're no longer living. And that's the end of this person's life. And I guess what I'm interested in is, is there something about that person that does not die? Or is there something that is not final in that moment, that that endures? So one way in which our culture has talked about that is like the idea of a soul, right? That's like everlasting or a soul that leaves the body or so, something about the essence of this person that does not end when their body dies. And even as I'm saying that, I'm like, oh, cringe. But at the same time, oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Totally. <laughs> Great. Okay. That is so helpful. Essentially, your question is like, is there a soul that survives the death of the body? Yeah. And I'm not attached to it being called a soul, sure, sure, right? Sure, like, sure. is it just that we live on in each other's memories? Is that it? I, I don't know. I guess that's what I want to want to try and think about with you. Totally. Okay. I love this question. I mean, even just to reflect on Elizabeth's voicemail for a moment, her experience was maybe even sharper than the one I want to explore in the sense that she was giving a lot of visual imagery of what people were saying or or what they were doing in those moments of death. That feels like a whole portal into a bigger conversation that we probably won't quite get to. But that theme of continuation, I think she illustrated really, really well. Mm -hmm. That's the bit that really intrigues me. So the first text that I brought with me, you know, go simple, go something easy, go a little morsel of text. I went for war and peace. Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You know, a wonderful epic story. It's set in the kind of early 19th century as Napoleon is trying to invade Russia. So it takes place over about 15 years, but it, it really centers on that 1812 campaign. And the novel is told through the eyes of five different aristocratic families. So their lives are all intertwined. There's love, there's betrayal, there's loss, there's all sorts of juicy things. All the men are handsome. They wear the best outfits. And honestly, they have delicious names like Anatole and Nikolai and Andre. And I always wanted, like, if I had sons, that's what I would call them. (laughs) And it's about war and it's about peace on a kind of international battlefield kind of stage, but it's also domestic in the sense of the the relationships within families in, in married couples and things. The particular quote that I pulled from is from Prince Vasily Karagin, who who's kind of like a baddie in the story. And I, I don't want to make it that simple, but he's this ruthless figure who wants to marry his children into wealth at all costs. And he's kind of deceiving various other characters in order to get his hands on a big inheritance. And he's talking to his future son-in-law, Pierre, who's slightly bumbling and not maybe very with it in terms of how this inheritance is going to be broken down. And Prince Karagin is reflecting on the fact that he's over 50 and so he needs to be ready for anything. Like he's, he's kind of confronting the potential imminence of his death. And then he says this quote, everything ends in death. Everything. Death is terrible. And the reason why I chose that quote is it's so clearly final. And not only is it final, it's bad. Like if life is good, death is bad. It's over. Love, beauty, connection, wonder, like it's over. And I think that's partly what drives his his ambition and his kind of grabbiness around this fortune is that he wants to ensure that his children are going to be set because after he dies, there's nothing he can do. 
So I wanted to pick this because it it represents kind of how I've always thought about death, that it's the end. And the I guess the inherent sadness and challenge of it as the end. So it's so interesting to me that this is the text you brought as your like, this is the way I used to think. Death means nothing comes after. Because I don't think that that's what this quote is saying. It is not saying nothing comes after death. It says everything ends in death. Mm. Oh, wow. And I would actually say that it's not saying that death is nothing because it's saying death is terrible. So Mm. I think that this quote actually leaves room for a tremendous amount of mystery. I guess I'm with you that like flowers die and then come back the next year. Or become mulch, right? Or become mulch, which leads to something new. To take that reading into the context that I was thinking about, it's not necessarily an eternal continuation. It's a death and rebirth. And and that is, if I was going to like talk about my current understanding of how to think about life after death, that's a reading that I can get behind both poetically and like scientifically in the sense that literally the atoms that made up our bodies become nutrients and take new form, right? That That is true. And it also has this beautiful like poetic way of imagining someone's enduring presence in the trees or in the water or in the sky. And I feel very comfortable with that, like that, that I'm totally about. I guess the thing that I still feel this quote illustrates as me pointing to some finality is that it isn't something enduring in the form that it was, right? Like it's not like something, I guess the word ending is really crucial, but I'm super stimulated by your reading of it that way. I, I had not seen it in that way at all. The other part of this quote that I want to ask you about is the death is terrible. Yeah. Do you think death is terrible? I mean, the thing that I, the reason why I like this quote is like, I don't want to die. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, life is good. I don't want it to totally. be over, at least not yet. And like, I still feel like I'm 27 to some extent. And from how I talk with lots of older people, they still feel like they're a certain age that's much younger. And like... I think it's going to be hard to die. Like, I don't want to. It's at least terrifying, if not terrible. Totally. God willing, you're going to have a long time before this happens. So there's that. Yeah. But yeah, it's so scary to die and to to remember that you're mortal. So if it's so scary because life is so good, why does part of you want to hold on to that? Why not just be like, do you know what? There's something after. Yeah, I guess... Because in some ways, when I'm in the right zone, <laughs> like it's actually motivating because we only have so long. So like make the most of it, right? Say yes to the invitation, try out the nail polish, like live, don't wait, don't hold back. I think it's also scarier as I get older, not because I'm going to die necessarily, but like I often think about the more people that I meet and the more people that I love, or even the more people I like the more people are going to die who I care about in this personal way. And like, that's terrible. Like I have lived such a very privileged life in the fact that I I haven't lost a lot of people, certainly unexpectedly or or at a young age. And like seeing that happen around me with other people, it's just heartbreaking. And I, I don't want my heart to be broken. Yeah. So the hope is that there's a soul so that you don't have to truly say goodbye to the people you love when they die. Yeah. And like hearing you say that, I'm like, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Or at least it feels, it feels so thin. 
in the face of like the the way I understand how the world works because I'm not a scientist like I don't really understand but from what I believe and what I've been told how the world works like that just doesn't fit so that's why I have like one heavy foot still with Prince Vasily who's like deal with it like everything ends in death and death is terrible so, I mean, it sounds like it's not that this other idea is comforting or serves you in any way. It's that this other idea, this Vasily idea feels true to you. And you're like, part of me is just like, I don't want this to be true. So I want to look for something else. But really, at the end of the day, I think that this is what's true. And even if it's inconvenient and unpleasant, I want to deal with it. I feel like it's half the truth, right? Like, if I don't accept this... At least for me, I don't feel like it's congruous with how I understand the world, right? Like at a, at a foundational level of if I walk, can I expect to hit solid ground? So if I stop believing in this, like it, there would be a lot of other things that would need to be reassessed. And I, I, I just don't experience that to be true. So there's something about it that is true. And there's something about it that's incomplete. It's like half a bridge, but the other half of the bridge isn't isn't illustrated by this way of thinking about it. Does that make sense? Sure. And you don't know what that other half of the bridge is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So the meanest part of me is like, what gives you the feeling that there's another half of that bridge? I think that that's the whole bridge. And you just don't like where the bridge takes you. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> no, nope, this isn't it. I don't recognize this land. And I'm like, tough. It's it. Yeah. I think it's partly how I hear other people who who have lost loved ones and who still feel connected to them in a way that is beyond just memory. It's partly that. But really, it's more like when I was looking at my grandmother's body, it wasn't everything of who she was. Like I've heard phrases like life force or, you know, her personality or her, her like the self. And I, I guess that's why we use words like the soul, because it it's this non-physical thing that is so much about the essence of someone. And that's where this other half of the bridge comes from, I guess. So what I hear you saying is that you do believe in this poorly named thing, right? Of a life force or a soul or a spirit. And that you think it's separate from the body. But what I, I don't understand where you f fall on is whether or not you think that life force or spirit can exist without the body. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that that's a really fair question, which is like, okay, if something, <laughs> right, if this soul, this essence leaves a body, like, what is it? Where does it go? And honestly, it feels like this is the perfect time to bring in the second text, because I think it speaks to exactly this. So let's turn there. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So the second text that I'm bringing is this incredible image, which honestly, many people may have seen it in different forms. It was a very popular visual trope in medieval Europe. And I'm bringing a particular page of a manuscript that's housed in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. And it's from the mid 15th century. And it's this incredible illuminated manuscript that illustrates these four bodies in like, honestly, beautiful fabric clothing, but they've all died and they're all lying in this field, like this green grass is underneath them and there's this blue sky above them. And out of their mouths, these like little baby spirits, but they have like kind of genie-esque legs (laughs) that go into the, literally the mouth of, of the dead person. And of course, it's uh, not a literal painting, but it's a- an illustration of the soul leaving the body in the kind of Christian, medieval, European imagination. And so when I when you're asking that question of like, well, what is this thing and where does it go? The image of what it isn't <laughs> is this. Because first of all, who said souls are like little naked babies that have the same hair color as the person who died? Like, it's such a bad, bad illustration of what a soul would be, I think, that I just want to say, like, this is not what I believe. And so I'm offering more questions than answers, because if it's not that, then what is it? Is it just energy? Like, what is that? Is it just memory? Is it just love? It all feels so squishy and unsatisfying that I end up going back to Prince Vasily because like, it's not mini babies, but something. I just can't let go of, of the something. So can I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something about myself and this might be bad chaplaincy, but it's the only way I can think to talk about this. So you know that I love our shared teacher, Stephanie Paulsell, a great deal. Yes. And so I worry about her dying a lot because mm. that is one of the ways I love someone is that I worry about them dying. And with Stephanie, I will miss her so much when she dies mm. and I am confident that I n- knew her long enough and will have known her long enough that I will be able to ask myself the question of what would Stephanie say to me in this moment and at least be able to get like close to a truth of her, right? Like she would probably be smarter and more knowledgeable than what I can conjure for myself because I don't know the things I don't know. But yeah. I'm pretty sure that I I know that. And so isn't the thing that's left like intimacy? Hmm. Like it's not just imagination because I can't imagine really what 
Christopher Plummer would say to me, right? Like he's dead and I can imagine what he would say to me, but it would be complete play and imagination. But the soul only exists in intimacy and therefore Stephanie won't totally die for me because she's let me see her at least a little bit. And I have had the privilege of seeing her a little bit and therefore she won't totally die for me. That is so wise, Vanessa. And it's exactly why the visual stuff of like the little bodies doesn't work because the whole thing is like that it's relational. It's this string of connection or this totally. this sharing or this thing that we can only see when we're both looking at it or that, yeah, it's relational. And what felt like what was gone when I saw my grandmother's body was the relational bit was no longer here. Right. And when I'm saying here, I'm pointing to where she was lying on this like chilled table that would keep the body cool. Right. Like that's not where the relationship was anymore. It was somewhere else. And I think maybe to some extent, like the period of adjusting to this person that I love not being there anymore is like reorienting where I'm putting that relationship. And I can imagine that it's in my head or it's in my heart or it's in the world around me. Or for me, it's often in the like, the things that were important to her or the, like the ideas that she would have found funny or like the jokes she would have told, right? Like that's, that's where the location of the relationship is. And I think what's terrible is like when those things disappear. Totally. Well, no new intimacy can exist. Yeah. What has died to some extent is the possibility of more intimacy. And the other thing that has died are the things that that you either weren't able to see in them or that they didn't share with you or that they didn't want to share with you. Yeah. And maybe those parts of them are still alive with other people. Or I'd like to think that we each get to die with secrets and that like our secrets get to die with us. There's some unknowable part of all of us that like we don't have to share with anyone if we don't want to. Only Google knows. (laughs) Only Google knows. (laughs) And so like death is terrible in that way, right? If we love the person, it's terrible because the intimacy has ended. Like the book is done being written. Nothing new can be added in that way. I mean, you can still read their diaries, right? Like and do these things. But the intimacy itself is always there is to me what still exists after death. And I'm offering that to you. I'm not sorry. I'm not trying. No, I I receive it. And it it feels it just feels really true. Like the other thing that I disagree with about this image, right? This second text is in the Christian imagination, certainly in that kind of orthodox context, is that the souls, these little mini babies, like they're going somewhere and they're going to judgment, right? Like, so it's again, this journey away from us, but like, that's not the geography of death for me. I really love the way that you're describing that this feeling is actually, it's relationship. And those relationships live in specific songs and stories and places and objects and jokes. And that's the life that continues. And it feels true to say that not more of those can emerge. Maybe other people would disagree with me, but I just haven't had that experience yet that you're developing new connectional moments, like new portals of relationship with the person who's passed. And it's about tending the ones that you have if you want to. And I think maybe that's partly why this has felt important to think about for me is like, I've befriended a couple of older people over the last five years, you know, one of whom is in her late eighties and at some point will, will die relatively soon, I expect. And like, she lives far away 
And like, I've only had a few days with her, but we have a very sweet friendship and correspondence. And like, I guess I feel that kind of impending end of possibility, as you were describing. I want to have a sense of like, what can I expect from the rest of my life after she dies that would still include her in some way? Because it's not like her dying has ended her presence in my life. Totally. I mean, the other thing, the thing that I really agree with Vasily about in terms of the death is terrible. Hmm. I'm just so scared that the people who I love will suffer as they die or be scared when they die. And like, that is the thing that I find terrible. And the finality, it's something that I think about a lot. Peter's mother died a few years ago. And sometimes I just get so sick of her being dead. I'm just like, oh my God, you're still dead? Like, we just have more questions for you. Like the questions just keep adding up. Like, would you stop already? Yeah. (laughs) So like the finality of it is terrible. And like, she was in pain at the end of her life. And like, it breaks my heart that she was in pain at the end of her life. I I guess I just like, don't want to let go of like, death is terrible. It also... Like our intimacy with the person also never goes away. Like the Gazina was her name and she's still very much alive in our house. Hmm. And yet her death is and was terrible. Like, what do you make of the fact? I mean, this is something we hear from friends who work in chaplaincy a lot of that people often die when there's no one around. And like, even if the family is all gathered or maybe they're waiting for one final person to arrive and then everyone leaves the room, it's in that moment that someone is a, it's, they slip away. Totally. Again, I don't want to force something flowery onto that, but how do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of that? (laughs) I guess there's something, it's like, (laughs) okay, this is a really awful analogy, but it's like going to poop. It's like, you you need to do it, but like, you don't want other people watching. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know how it's going to happen. And like, uh, it's great to know that people are just outside and I appreciate that, but like, please turn up the volume. You know, like it makes me feel comfortable to know you're all here, but I actually don't want you watching as I'm doing the deed. I often feel bad for dogs because like everyone's just looking at them as they're pooping. I'm like, have some decency. (laughs) Give the dog a moment of privacy here. And I feel like that's kind of how it is. Like, you just you just need a moment. Yeah, I think that's it. I also think that people when they are dying are trying really hard to take care of the living. And so mm. when the people are in the room, there's this like, well, I don't want to make them sad feeling. And so when they leave the room, yeah. it's like, okay, I can do this without like traumatizing them or yeah. Right. Like you just don't have to worry about them anymore and you can be selfish often. And this is not always the case, right? At all. But often when people are dying, they're tired and like yeah. they just sort of want to go to sleep. And if other people are in the room, you don't want to fall asleep because you want to be part of the conversation. And then they leave the room and you're like, okay, I can go to sleep. Yeah. Is at least how in my very, you know, I've only done hospital chaplaincy for one summer, but that was my highly limited experience of it. I agree with you that there's something that we don't understand about it. My grandfather was dying and there Mm. just kept being snowstorms in Boston. So I could not get home to him. I couldn't get home to him. And 
my mom was there every day and she was like, do you want to talk to him on the phone? And I was like, no, I want to make it there. And eventually my like third or fourth flight was canceled. And so I was like, can I please talk to him? And she put me on speakerphone Mm. with him. And I was just like, I will see you soon. I love you. And he died before I hung up the phone. And Mm. like, I don't totally want to believe that he was like hanging on to hear from me. Like all of his other grandchildren had said goodbye and his children had said goodbye. But I don't know. It was at minimum like uncanny. (laughs) I was just so resistant to doing it because I wanted to do it in person. And then as soon as I did it, he died. So like these things are are beautiful mysteries. I I just keep, even in that story, Vanessa, that sense of relationship, right? That sense of connection is so clear and, and both in life and in death. And the image I want to think about, like, yes, it's that the life force or the soul or the essence of who we are is inherently relational, but like life, life itself is relational. Like we could not get into this world without relationship. Literally we're coming out of someone else's body to arrive here. I, I just feel like part of why my question has felt important to me is that I live, and I think so many of us live, with this very individualistic frame of what life is and how we live it and what it's about. And if I if I didn't have that, I don't think this would be as anxious a question as it is for me. It would feel easier and less fraught because I'd have a more accurate understanding of what it actually means to be alive than I do most of the time. I mean, to me, my question for you, Casper, is like, how do you want this new understanding to change your relationships with the people in your life who have died? Like, do you want to start imagining what your grandmother would say more frequently? Do, do you know, it's actually more about the people who will die. Yeah. That, that's that's where it feels more real to me is like, you know, thinking of this, this particular friend in her 80s, like, I want to be real clear that the relationship is going to continue to live. And I have it in a couple of pieces of wisdom that I say out loud. You know, my friend Sue says this. I think of the city, right? Like whenever I think of Toronto, I think of Sue. But I want to, I don't want to say collect. That feels kind of greedy. But I want to make sure that I have enough anchors of where the relationship will live, even if it's just in my stories and my memories, that her death will be the end. And yet the relationship we have will continue. Yeah. I want that to be enough of those things for the people I love that they'll survive in our friendship. Yeah. I mean, I think my favorite part of the Bible is one line in the Song of Songs, and it is love is stronger than death. It's not that love will prevent someone from dying. It's not that love will conquer death. It's just like love will last longer than death, right? Yeah. To me, that is the afterlife, right? Is that love is stronger than death and that we lose people and death is terrible and death ends everything and love is stronger than it. Yeah. Well, Casper, thank you so much for bringing this question. I really did not think it would be interesting. And then it was. (laughs) I was just like, we're not going to figure it out, dude. <laughs> well, thanks to Leo Tolstoy and Prince Vasily for their help for more peace. And unfortunately, the anonymous artist of this hilarious image of the soul leaving the body. And we'll link it in the show notes of the episode so you can you can find the image to see to see it in its full glory because it really is honestly kind of hilarious. 
And at the end of every episode, we like to share a little bit of wisdom from our listening community. And this week, I want to share this lovely adage from Emily Gage, which feels very in line with our conversation today from Oak Park, Illinois, who shared Annie Dillard's great quote of how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. So thank you for that, Emily. And we'd love to hear some more pieces of wisdom from you all. So if you want to go to the website, realquestionpod.com, click on the button that says send in a maxim. It's green on a yellow background. Then you can bring us your piece of wisdom. It can be a favorite quote or something that you live by as a rule of life, anything that might be useful for other people to hear. We're so grateful to, to have them. And I also want to ask for some voicemails about home ownership because I am trying to figure out, it's like, is owning a home a good thing? Like, when did we start believing that? So if you own a house and it has changed you in some way for the better, for the worse, I would love to hear about it. Send a story voicemail and email it to us at realquestion at notsorryproductions.com. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. If you have the means to help us out, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and Twitter at the Real Q Pod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks to Elizabeth for her voicemail, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Purcell, and all our fabulous, fabulous patrons. We are so, so grateful. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.